This is Julie Dolan. This is Liz Dolan. This is Sheila Dolan. This is Monica Dolan. This is Leon Dolan. And you're listening to Satellite Sisters to Satellite Sisters to Go. Not every conversation will change your life, but any conversation, any conversation, any conversation can. I'm not gonna write you a love song. are the Satellite Sisters. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Liz Dolan here in the beautiful studios at the Paley Center for Media in Beverly Hills, California with my sister Sheila. How are you? Feeling good. Feeling summery, Liz. Feeling fine. Feeling summery. Okay. Monica Dolan, Portland, Oregon. What's going on with you? Getting ready for the 4th. (laughs) Okay. That's right. TikTok, two days. 4th of July, right around the corner. Uh, That'll really be fun. What an amazing conversation we have to look forward to later on in this show. You know, every month we bring you the Satellite Sisters Book Club, which is always a biography, autobiography, or memoir by or about a woman. Uh, This month we are talking to, this show, we are talking to Sheila Weller. She wrote the book Girls Like Us, Carol King, Joni Mitchell, Carly Simon, and the Journey of a Generation. This is a fantastic, fun, totally juicy book, didn't you think? All three of us read it. We all enjoyed it. We were in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade when those women were out there doing their thing. (laughs) And it's great. It's great to get all the details of their lives. You know, and there are details in there that aren't just about those women or aren't about women. There was one story I loved, just in a tiny little footnote. James Taylor figures prominently in the stories of the lives of all three of these women. And I guess I had forgotten that he was the first non-Beatle to record for Apple Records. He was living in London. That was his first recording contract was at Apple. And when he wrote the song Fire and Rain, you know, about his friend who committed suicide, uh, he, like, wrote out the song and then was testing it out on Paul McCartney because Paul McCartney was his boss, uh, I guess, at Apple Records. And, you know, in that song, he writes, Suzanne, the plans they made put an end to you. Okay, Suzanne was the friend who had killed herself. But then later in the song, there's a line which was, uh, as we heard it, look down upon me, Jesus, you got to help me make a stand, right? right? You could sing it. Well, in the original version that James Taylor wrote, he used his girlfriend's name there, Maggie. Look down upon me, Maggie. You got to help me make a stand. He was asking his current girlfriend for help. And Paul McCartney heard the song and said, no, you can't use two different women's names in a song. You have to pick one name. <laughs> so he stuck with Suzanne, because the song was really about her, to go Maggie's name, put in Jesus. I think that's brilliant. And the rest is history. There you go, James Taylor. Not that he didn't have lots of women in his life at one time, but yes. Anyway, there's much, much more we're going to learn about that whole world, that whole era, uh, when we talk to Sheila Weller uh, in a few minutes. We also have a Believe It or Not, Monica. Yes, we do. And this week, the theme is milestones. Mm. Milestones. thought that was a good one, and I know you don't have any time. Time to look up any more stories on milestones. So I have three wacky stories about milestones. Okay. All right. Well, first, sisters, I have the big story of my date with the younger man. I want to tell you about okay. the summer of love. Let's let's recap. You know, the summer of love was my attempt, is my attempt, to find the one in three months. Mm-hmm. And that sort of goes against everything everyone has ever told me to do. You know, wait for the, your Prince Charming to yeah, come. you never know. Work on yourself. He might, you know, mm-hmm. he will come to you, that sort of thing. No, I... You're not buying it? No, I didn't buy it because after 40 years 
said hasn't worked. So what I did with your help and with everyone's help, I went through and I signed up for internet dating. I, you know, talked to friends. I accosted men on the street. Mm. I've made audition tapes. I am determined to find the one, Liz. Mm -hmm. And as part of, you know, my summer of love, which if you haven't seen anything or read anything yet, go to SatelliteSisters.com right now and get caught up because the videos and everything, all kinds of stuff. You've asked for it and I've given it to you, you know, sneak peek into my cozy couch, into my world, Montana Avenue and the real dates, you know, filmed in real time. And so, you know, my first date with a younger man (laughs) filmed in real time. Wow. Uh, I haven't heard anything about this. Okay, well, let me tell you about him. First of all, keeping it under wraps to reveal. Right. Well, okay. His name is Tim. All right. He's he's been asked to keep his last name. You know, name is Tim. Uh huh. And uh, he is six two. So he's a tall man. Yeah. Um, he's a really cute guy. He's thirty six years old. Ooh. He's um, he's very buff. He's very in shape. He does all sorts of running and weights and all of that. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like you can tell he has a lot of energy. Not just because he's thirty six. That's the type of guy he is. Yeah. All right. Beautiful eyes. He had you know, sort of the short hair and like the stubble. Uh, oh. You know, the, a lot of L.A. guys look like that. Yeah. Like tattoos, you know, a few little bracelets here and there. Oh. Very, but a very cute look, a very cute L.A. look. He was also friendly, easy to talk to. Um, he called ahead. He confirmed. He was on. This sounds great, Sheila. On time and brought his own basketball. You know, what's, <laughs> what could be better than that? No, the date involved him teaching me how to shoot a basket. We thought that would be fun to do. And I want to suggest, you know, on first dates, don't go to a restaurant and tell each other your sad stories like Jerry Maguire. Go to the courts and learn how to do something like that because it was really fun and it took the pressure off the date. Uh-huh. And I think he enjoyed it because he's, he's a jock. And as he said, guys like to teach, you know, women stuff. Right. So right. he was really psyched and, you know, teaching me how to shoot a basket. And how'd you do? Oh, I was so competitive. At one point, I, I, he taught me how to do it, you know, using the um, the B-E-E-F method, which okay. is basically balance, I the back of the basket, um, I don't know what the other E stands for, and follow through. Eat something and then eject. follow through. Eject the ball. Maybe it was eject. There was a rotation involved. After I learned how to shoot that basket, thank you, Tim. Thank you for everything. Thank you for showing up, uh-huh. bringing the basketball, being a sport, stepping up. Um, I, oh, I didn't, I, I didn't even care about Tim anymore. I just wanted to shoot baskets. I just, <laughs> like, let's just shoot baskets. Well, you joined a league? And, and he said, you know, he's, he has three favorite expressions. Oh. Har- hardcore is one of them. Hardcore. So he yeah. was like, boy, you're really hardcore, you know? Yeah, well, and, he needs to know that about you. Right, old school. Uh, another favorite expression, you know, my, my sneakers were old school. The date was kind of old school, you know, because it was like out doing a sportsy type thing. Uh-huh. Very old school. And, um, and stepping up. You know, he, he believes in people who step up. And he definitely did, you know, because he showed up. And, um, I mean, that's all good, right? Yeah, all good. Mm-hmm. That's good. Why? But I get the, why do I get the feeling that the other sneaker needs to drop you? <laughs> that's the all good part. And then? Okay, this is the thing. If, if if this can be possible, I might have found a guy that has too much in common with me. Is that possible to find someone? Okay, first of all, he's a podcaster. 
Mm-hmm. That's what he does for a living. For a living. Wow. All right. Now, he has a great podcast called The Hollywood Podcast, where he sort of goes behind the scenes in Hollywood and interviews people. He Did does- you ask him how he gets behind the scenes? Because you've always wanted to do that as entertaining Sheila. Oh, very funny, Liz. <laughs> no, but he tells sort of long stories about his life as well. Like, really? it's mainly about him. Sounds mm. like somebody else we know. Yes. Right? Also... He has a very tenuous living situation in terms of space. Cozy. Yeah, it's, it's extremely cozy, cozy like mine. Um, and he's, I think, equally frustrated with the opposite sex. Uh-huh. I mean, he had a lot to share about women and his frustration with women in general, you know, who like he might go on a good first date with them. He was very open with me yeah, about yeah. his about his stuff. Is that what you want? Well, I don't want someone. I I, I don't want that you much don't want of his stuff. <laughs> you want to talk about your stuff, <laughs> <laughs> and that's not his fault. But th- I think that's good that he felt comfortable enough to say his stuff. Uh huh. And one of his things was, you know, if you go on a first date, he wishes the woman would come up to you and say, "Hey, that was really fun. I'd like to see you again." I think I can see why men would want to think mm-hmm. that. He's sick of, of stepping up. Yeah. <laughs> sick of stepping that, Yeah. Because that's old school, you know, and it's hardcore. Um, so then. No, I can understand why a guy would want to know, it, like, even if he did call for a second date, whether you were going to say yes or not. And unless you step up, he's not going to know. What's weird is I don't think that he was my type. I don't think that we are the type. I, you know, I think as Leon said, when Leon, when we had the cougar chat before this date, she said she was honest with me. She said, you have to remember that you were in competition with younger women out there. Mm-hmm. And I got a sense that he really liked me and we really liked each other. But we'd be better off as friends. Yeah. Because at one point I totally blew it. I was like just talking about myself. I was like. Well, I ha- he was talking about he was a manny, so he was a male nanny. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. that's, that's a, I think, a nice profession. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he had just... It's a caring profession. He had just lost his job. So he really... He was he, an unemployed <laughs> nanny. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, and so he was talking about that. I said, well, I'm sure you had a great impact on their lives. And I just had a 30-year reunion with the family that I babysat for. When I was 18. Oh, oh I'm such an idiot. Years. Why did I say that? Oh, he did oh. Even the most rudimentary math skills would lead him to... Mm. Again, I don't know why, you know, but then, but then I guess I just didn't feel the pressure that I needed to, like, be the one or hide all my personal facts. No, you shouldn't be hiding the facts. You shouldn't be lying about the facts. You shouldn't <laughs> necessarily be hiding the facts. No, I, I mean, he knew that... He, do you think he suspected you were older than him already? I, I think he might. Might have. He might have. I saw that look in his eye. Like, yeah. he was playing along. Yeah. And we, you know what? We played. We played on the date. And you will see at SatelliteSisters.com the playfulness with which we we played, you know, on the date. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, what's scary to me is the first date. I'm trying to figure out whether the first date was so good because there was a camera on me. <laughs> Or whether or not it was just a good day. When you say the camera on you, how do you think having the camera on you affected your behavior? My performance? Yes. No. <laughs> just were you on your best behavior or were you being like super cute, adorable, playful, not like you would be on an actual date? I, or you'd be making faces? Right. I, I think I would be more judgmental <laughs> on a first date. I would be more, you know, withholding yes. and waiting. No, I was. I did step it up, as as he says. <laughs> And we were both, I mean, a little bit hammy, okay? That's all right. Again, very much alike in that um, genre, as it were, of our lives. (laughs) The reality show of our lives, so to speak. Um, So, but... 
Wait, so is there going to be a second date? Well, that's the thing. I didn't know if he wanted me to step up and ask for a second date or whether he was going to. So what I did was I wrote to him. I emailed him. I said, first of all, thank you for coming out. It was so much fun. I had such a good time. And, I, you know, I didn't feel like we were totally right for each other. Uh-huh. I didn't. Uh, but I said, maybe we could do a podcast together someday. Mm-hmm. Do you think that was bad? <laughs> well, no. Monica, why not? Why don't you think that was bad? Uh, you know, I mean, it, it, although it makes it sound like you don't really want to have a second date with him. But it sounds like you knew. I mean, you know after the first date, especially if you spent a couple hours with the person. Right. I, I just it's think... it's not really going to work. I mean, I think... That's not what Kathy Freston told us. Remember when she was giving you their oh, advice what? how to find to the one? She said... Keep yourself open stick and Stick with people for longer on the blog at, at Sheila Summer of Love. Almost all of the advice that people have posted for you at Sheila Summer of Love is about... Give people more than one shot. Stick with it. Okay, well, you know, maybe I'm not the type of woman who says after the first date, I really like you. I'd like to see you again. Maybe I say something like, hey, maybe we should do a podcast together. (laughs) Yeah. All right, maybe I'm that type of woman. I mean... Okay. The only reason I had the look on my face that I did when you said let's do a podcast together is because if it's what you do for a living (laughs) and if it's what he does for a living, doesn't that become a quasi-competitive situation Mm -hmm. a little bit? I don't, it just seems like maybe you should not work, do something that's so work related. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. What what do you have in mind? Soccer next time? I mean, I, I, I don't know. But mm-hmm. I, I, you know, all in all, I had a really fun time. And again, I think it was fun to be with a 36 year old. And yet he was a very old, he had a very old soul. He, you know, had obviously thought about his life a lot. Thought yeah, about, I mean, 36 is not that young. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just you have thought about your life by the time you're 36. It's not like being 26. <laughs> right. Where you're still like just out there having fun and not really figuring out the long-term consequences of anything. Right. But but I guess, you know, I mean, I, I was at a loss at the end of the day too, Liz. And I didn't know if he was saying that thing because he wanted me to come out. And again, this is the stress of dating. Mm-hmm. It's that, you know... This is why Monica and I don't do this. <laughs> this is why we're sitting back and watching your videos. But I'll home. tell you one thing. For a first date, this was one of the best first dates I've ever had. Yeah, that's it great. It just you happened had to be real, filmed. Yeah. I mean, it's which was odd. Uh-huh. But again, I, it could have been... No, a Dud. Oh. He could have had a total dud. No, this... Like a total weirdo. Yeah, no. that wasn't fun to be with at no, all. No, he was a lot of fun. I think we had fun together. All right. And you're probably saying, why not a second date? Well, you know, I mean, what would you do on a second date other than podcasting, which is, the, you know, maybe that's a good suggestion. Can't because... you go see a movie or... We we could we could we could go to a movie or dinner or something, but then someone would have to step up. You know that's that's an old school situation, Liz. Yeah. Where someone would have to say, "Would you like hardcore? For would you? you like? Would you like to go out to dinner?" I think we're fine, and I think you know I think Tim is a cool guy. He really is. All right. Well, here we are, Wednesday, July second. Some of this is it's posted at SatelliteSisters.com. Oh yes. Uh, what's happening next in Sheila's Summer of Love? Is there? Are we allowed to know like what the future holds for? Well, well, there's a very good chance that I have a date with the infamous Dimitri, my swim coach. You're kidding. No. Wow. I saw Dimitri. You've been talking about him on Satellite Sisters for a year. That's right, people. And I saw him at the pool the other day, and I just went for it. I said, Dimitri, 
I said, this is what I'm doing. Would you like to go on a date with me? And <gasps> Stepping he, up, <laughs> Sheila. And he said, yes, yes, I would. And um, he wanted to know if, if, if this was going to be broadcast on TV. I said, no, not exactly, but it will be seen by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And he was very interested in going on a date with me. And he said, you know, I've tried to go on dates with women from the swim club before. And he said, but I want to ask you one favor. Please, can we not talk about swimming on the date? <laughs> and I said, well, Dimitri, you want to talk about Chekhov? We can talk about Chekhov if you want. He goes, that is another stereotype as well. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a very dry, sarcastic, Russian sense of humor. I think we're going to have a great time. All right. So that, look for that coming that up. That is something to look forward to. Sheila's Summer of Love. Check it out at SatelliteSisters.com. While you're there, you, you can also get all the information about the book. We're about to talk to Sheila Weller, the author of Girls Like Us. You are going to want to hear what Sheila has to share with us about just the lives and the loves of Carol King, Joni Mitchell, and Carly Simon. It's the Satellite Sisters Book Club coming up next, so stick with us. Sometimes I wonder if I'm ever going to make it home again. It's so far and out of sight. the Satellite Sisters. Do I even need to tell you that that is Carol King? Oh, doesn't that just give you chills? It takes you back, Liz. It takes you back. We're going back. This is the June edition of the Satellite Sisters Radio Book Club. You know, every month we bring you a biography, autobiography, or memoir by or about a woman. This month, it's by a woman, and it's about three women. It's really about our entire generation of women. The book is entitled Girls Like Us, Carol King, Joni Mitchell, Carly Simon, and the Journey of a Generation. The author, Sheila Weller, New York Times bestselling author, is with us right now. Sheila Weller, welcome to Satellite Sisters. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. <laughs> you know, we all enjoyed reading this book so much. And as I was reading it, this is Liz, I, it's almost like I was picturing that in your office, wherever that is, Sheila, that you had to be diagramming as you went through the years. Okay, she wrote that song for him, and then he slept with her, and then she slept with all of them. And over here, they got a Grammy, and over here, they went to Woodstock or didn't go to Woodstock. And then right in the middle, there's the treehouse in Laurel Canyon where Joni Mitchell and Graham Nash were making love. Okay, am I imagining this process correctly? No, it was was sort of like that. I had files. I'll bet. I mean, you have so, so much anecdotal material here yeah. that even some of the juicy stuff is in footnotes. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, this is Sheila. You know, my sister Monica, who's on the line, called me yeah. when we first started reading yeah. the book, and she said, Sheila, it's dense, but it's good. <laughs> you got to read it. It's just so good. And it's it's true. It's it's, it's a dense book, but filled yeah. with everything we want to know about our heroes. Uh, yeah. Good. So, so you... 
You start the whole story, April 6, 1971. So we're just going to go back there in time a little bit, Sheila Weller. So here we have Carly Simon is at the Troubadour opening for Cat Stevens. Right, right. She's terrified. That's the same year. She's terrified, right? Yes, terrified, yes. And then she finds out that her hero, James Taylor, is in the audience with, with his girlfriend. Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell. Right. It's incredible. <laughs> that picture right there. And she, and she was told that by the new drummer on the scene, who is James's best friend, Russ Kunkel, who will later become Carly's post-James uh, fiance, but we'll get to that later. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. All right. So 1971, yeah. also the year that Tapestry comes out, Carol mm-hmm. King's, mm-hmm. you know, blockbuster record, right? Right, exactly. And Joni Mitchell put blue out that year. Yes, exactly. Oh, all yeah. right. So, okay, sisters, we're going back. It's yeah. a- April of 1971. <laughs> I, Liz Dolan, I'm in the eighth grade. Yes. Which means, <laughs> Sheila, you're in the seventh grade. Right. And what, see, the, these women didn't know that I, James Taylor was in love with me at that point. <laughs> right, right, I mean, right. I actually convinced my sisters that he was going to ask me out on a date. Didn't right. I? I mean, I was fully convinced. I was already writing poetry, yes. already uh, wearing blue jeans when <laughs> And blue came out. That's it. I went underground yep. for about another five years. <laughs> right, right, right. It was just, it was so pivotal. Monica? Yeah. yeah. I was thinking, Sheila, too bad you were only in the seventh grade and you couldn't make it out to the Troubadour in L.A. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, so, Monica, you were in the sixth grade, right? I was in the sixth grade. I mean, luckily, we had, Sheila, we have our older sister, Julie. Right. Um, who was able to, like, purchase Tapestry yeah. for us. Yeah, and right. I, I think that's when we first heard that record. And I, yeah. I believe it may be the only record our sister Julie owned. Oh, really? <laughs> we, we tease her about it, but it's a solid record. Yeah. You know? oh, yes. Is Julie the one in, in Japan? Yeah. No, she used to be in Thailand, and now she's back in Dallas. Ah. But, okay, Sheila Weller, where were you in 1971? I was in New York. Mm-hmm. I was I was looking all at all of this across what I call the celebrity divide. I mean, I think women who were kind of peers of these women, um, you know, really looked at not just the amazing music but their lives, and it felt like our lives. Yeah, it felt like our lives. That's why I call the girls like us. <laughs> it is girls. Well, yeah. we wanted to be like them. Any well, we, yes, you're yes. right. They I were mean, like we were us. Just talented, at, but um, but at all, but they just were like destroying the old template of being a young American woman and coming up with something new. And so many of the songs marked the passages of that, you know, rediscovery, so to speak. Let's just talk about the talent before yeah. we get into yeah. like the men and the drugs and yeah. all the rest. But the, the guys do the drugs. The girls, these women did not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. right. I had no idea that Carol King graduated from high school when she was 16 yes. and was a full-time professional songwriter in the Brill Building mm-hmm. in New York by the time she was 17, Sheila. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. She was 17. She was married, well, 17 or 18, married with a kid um, and writing hit records, writing number one records, um, you know, schlepping her kid in the subway. There were no collapsible strollers, and it was really not easy to have a kid and, and do any kind of work at the time. But yeah. she did it. You know. Yeah, I was really amazed to find that out. Uh, Carol King was not my favorite. Joni was. Mm-hmm. But I think even learning that Joni, you know, did plays and songs when mm-hmm. she was a little girl and sort of her determination. Mm-hmm. I mean, that got her through, you know, I didn't know she had polio. Yes. All of that determination seemed to factor into her talent Absolutely. as a singer-songwriter. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, all three of these women had really strong mothers. That was one. Oh, yes, that's thing. right. Very different mothers, but utterly strong, you know, um, and, and I think that really was important, too. The When Carol King, and she was married to her songwriter husband, Jerry Goffin, right? 
Mm-hmm. They got married when they were 17. Yep. Shotgun uh, wedding, you know. <laughs> yeah. Shotgun. Yep. I mean, yep. and it's the late 50s. So yep. that's shocking, right? Yes. Yes. I mean, she, you know, um, uh, had to get married. In fact, when she was getting married, she told her best friend, Camille Cacciatore, she said, oh, I hope the baby doesn't do the math later uh, and, and figure out that I was pregnant when we got married. <laughs> Just the fact that Carol King's best friend's name was Camille Cacciatore. Do you not love that? <laughs> she loves it too. She's great. Her name is her name is Camille Savitz now, and she she emailed me the other day and said somebody asked me to sign my picture in the book. I love signing Camille Cacciatore Savitz. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that's so great. Yeah. All right. So Carol King, when she wrote the song "Will You Love Me Tomorrow," mm-hmm. that was such a massive hit. And mm-hmm. really, you see that in some ways as sort of a turning point for mm-hmm. women and for her that there was a message in that song that had never really right. come out before. Exactly. It was it was very deftly coded. And, and she and Jerry wrote Broadway kind of feeling, Sondheim-ish, you know, um, Rodgers and Hammerstein feeling songs, but with the pop soul uh, uh, music. But it was basically, it's a, it's a woman, if you listen to the lyrics, it's a woman pondering the idea of sleeping with a guy and what are the risks to her and she's going to go ahead and do it. And and that had never been on the radio before. And it came out, of course, as Kennedy was elected, the birth control pill was being developed, and it became the first number one hit of any girl group, and in this case, an African-American girl group, the Shirelles. So, um, so many things were in that song. Yeah, and the uh, and they went on to write so many hits mm-hmm. that this is all stuff I did not know. That yeah. when when I read Sheila that you wrote when the Beatles came to America for the first time, yes. they asked to meet yes. the hitmaker Carol King, who had written a bunch of the songs that the Beatles Absolutely. had already recorded in the early sixties. Absolutely, for their first trip to America, they wanted to meet Gotham King. They didn't even know who they were. <laughs> we want to meet Gotham King. You know? <laughs> So they got so Carol and Jerry got to their suite at the Warwick Hotel when the entire world wants to meet the Beatles and there's John Lennon flirting with Carol. Oh, that was. Who then went home to her kids like just a regular housewife, you know, songwriter, very unassuming, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, she was a businesswoman too. I mean, yep. that's you know that was one of the things that came through about that yep. definitely. Yep. Yeah. And then Joni Mitchell, Sheila, what what surprised you most about her early years? Uh, I'm asking Sheila Dolan. Well, you know what? Everything surprised me because in my, you know, 11 year old's mind, Mm -hmm. she had she was just a mysterious, shadowy, narcissistic figure Mm -hmm. who wrote this poetry that spoke to me. We didn't even know where Canada was. No, we didn't know. We didn't (laughs) know. But it was mysterious to us and romantic to us. Yes, we didn't know from Canada. We didn't know she even had a childhood. She grew up in this very repressed Victorian home. Mm -hmm. She had polio when she was little. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, but one thing that came through in the book is that she did have this attitude like the cheese stands alone. You know, that (laughs) she is separate from the rest of us. Yeah. Did you find that in your research? Absolutely. I mean, first of all, she didn't want to be in a book with two other women. Really? And still doesn't. That's still her issue with this, I think. But Really? Yeah. But, um... Uh, but she she keeps my my term for it was she's a relinquisher. She moves on from the comfort to the difficult. She left Graham Nash and fame to go to Crete and live in a cave with a guy who put her down with no indoor toilet. But that's what you know. I mean, she uh, left the music that her fans loved so much, confessional you know uh, music, to write very complicated right. esoteric jazz type music. She would take cross-country trips by herself with a red wig and a fake name. She had a house in Canada. You know, in the woods would go 
Goa by herself. She chose the difficult life, and, and part of relinquishing her baby was, was, was kind of tied in with that. I mean, she's got that wonderful line in River, I'm, I'm so selfish and so sad, I lost the, left the best baby I ever had. I mean, that kind of defines her, both her brilliance and her, you know, the cross that she bears. I mean, the sense that that's what she does. I'm not sure I ever knew. Monica, did you know all about the baby and that she had given up a, a child for adoption very young? I did, and I knew that they had they were reuni- reunited mm-hmm. about 10 years ago. But, yeah. Sheila, in your book, I mean, you really make the point that that haunted Joni her whole life. Yeah. You know, there was always a sadness in her songs, like yeah. in Ladies of the Canyon and in Blue. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that she gave up that baby for adoption, and yes. she didn't want to. Yes, she, she says Blue was all about that. You know, mm-hmm. Blue was... She was. She hit bottom when she realized. I mean, she could have kept the baby. She had the means. She she could have done so, but I don't think she was ready to be a mother. I don't think. Um, I, I, How old was she when she that happened? Twenty one. She was twenty one. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, she was just beginning to sing in bars and clubs. Yeah. And, and you know, she she didn't really have a lot of money, and she, she had no money. She moved into a rooming house yeah. and amazing. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, I it, just it can't amazing. imagine how the lonely that must have been. Yeah, yeah. She was hiding it from her parents. Her parents would have just. I mean, that was just un- totally unacceptable. But she didn't hide it from the world. She went out when she was beginning to show and sang at club in clubs. Went back to her rooming house, no money at all. You know, her roommate, or roommate, the guy across the hall, an Indian, uh, get, brought her apples. He felt so sorry for her. And this is when she really began to write. And I, I think this is it's such a courageous, uh, you know, moment in her life. I mean, so many these women did things to me that were so much more courageous than their male counterparts, like Dylan, who may have written gorgeous songs, or the Beatles, but their lives were, you know, a little more coddled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that becomes really clear. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Carly Simon for a little mm-hmm. bit, because the as sisters reading this book, there was something yes. about her story yes. that was yes. that was really appealing. Neither Carol King nor jo- Joni Mitchell was a sister or mm-hmm. had a sister, but mm-hmm. Carly, it seems, is all about being a sister. Absolutely, she, she had the two older sisters, and they were like a singing group from birth. Mm-hmm. And the and the, and the older sisters were the glamour pusses, and Carly was the gawky little sister. First of all, she never thought she'd be a star. They never thought she'd be a star. But so much of her music is about being a sister. Um, and she also had lots of women friends. And of course, she and Lucy did, you know, came out as the Simon sisters. They she started her career singing with her just older sister Lucy. Uh-huh. But female relationships, competition, and you know, confidence sharing is just huge in her life and in her music. Well, our mother used to say to us, can't you girls just write one hit song? (laughs) (laughs) That's true. She really did. Like, please, that's all it would take. Really? One hit song. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's funny that that Carly Simon contrast to Joni Mitchell is very stark because you you get the feeling that Joni was perfectly happy to be one of the boys. And that Carly Simon is just totally different, kind of a girl's girl. Mm -hmm. And women's issues and women were much more important to her. Yes, Joni has said, and this kind of hurt people's feelings, she didn't like feminism. I think she didn't quite understand it because she was feminist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, she completely embodied it, but, she, but she'd make little remarks to Rolling Stone, you know, over the years. I, I don't believe in feminism, you know, but I think she now understands she, she kind of was feminism. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Talk about yeah. someone who, like, just 
went her own way, found her own path. Yep. All right. Well, we're going to take a little break here and hear a little from uh, from Joni Mitchell. When we come back, Sheila Weller, Girls Like Us, part of what makes it such a page turner (laughs) is just the sex lives of the women. It has to be said. Carol King, Joni Mitchell, Carly Simon, they were sleeping with everyone that we were fantasizing about (laughs) when we were in high school. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that when we come back. We're the Satellite Sisters. Traveling, 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 looking for something. What can it be? Oh, I hate you some. I hate you some. I love you some. Oh, I love you when I forget about me. I want to be strong. I want to laugh along. I want to belong to the living. Alive, alive. I want to get up and drive. want to wreck my The Satellite Sister, Sheila Dolan, is like mouthing the words here in the studio, <laughs> Sheila Weller. It's, yes. it's, well, I have that quote on my homepage at SatelliteSisters.com. <laughs> I'm still, like, it's like I'm in high school, Sheila. Yes, I right. mean, I have, I am on a lonely road and I'm traveling <laughs> yes, on my homepage at Satellite <laughs> yep, yep. Sisters. That's my girl. Yep. Uh, Sheila Weller is with us. She's the New York Times bestselling author of Girls Like Us, Carol King, Joni Mitchell, Carly Simon, and The Journey of a Generation. And the book is a total page turner. You got to get it. You know, it's just it's fun to read about how unbelievably talented these women were and the contributions they made to the the music of their era. But then it's incredibly juicy when it just gets down to their. Well, we'll just call it their personal lives. But I start. Yeah, I start to make a list of like, okay, Joni Mitchell. She slept with James Taylor, Graham Nash, Jackson Brown, Eric Anderson, Jack Nicholson, and Sam Shepard. I think we should, oh, not Jack Nicholson for her. I I think we should say had romances with. Had romances with, okay. (laughs) I think Jack Nicholson was Carly. Oh, that was Carly. Okay, right. You know what? Joni was good friends with him, so that's why you got that. (laughs) (laughs) And Sam Shepard. I didn't realize Joni Mitchell and Uh, the playwright Sam Shepard. That was one of my cool little. Little little revelations. I, I always wanted to know who Coyote was written about because it is one of her best songs. Who was Coyote? I knew it had to be somebody great. And one of Joni's very best friends who told me very little else 
you know, gleefully whispered across the table, unasked, Coyote was Sam Shepard. Wow. That's a good tidbit. (laughs) Yep, yep. (laughs) You know, Sheila, that's what I loved about the book, that all of these songs that I know and love, especially the Joni Mitchell songbook, but, Mm -hmm. and I had some idea about, you know, Willie was written about Graham Mm -hmm. Nash, but you have all the details about who all of these songs were written about. It was so enlightening to me. I loved it. I spent, uh, well, I was reading the book. I have to tell you, I listened to nothing but Joni Mitchell and Carol King and Carly Simon for those two weeks. That's so great. That's I, I just had I so much to them for five years. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, you know, Carly Simon was really the sexy girl of the, the three of them. Yep, you know, yep. Carol was the, the mom and the super yep. songwriter. And Joni, right, had this good girl, bad girl thing going on. Yep, but yep. Carly Simon, she was just sexy girl right out of the yep. gate, wasn't she? Classy, sexy girl, right? <laughs> yeah, she was yep. from a very uh, high-class family, yep, Simon yep, and Schuster. Sarah Lawrence. Right. Yeah, and I, and I think one of the reasons she could make sexy girls so acceptable is that she did have that sort of patina of cultural, you know, intellectual high society thing. I mean, I think we still needed that to, to accept sexy girl. You know, so you so have her list, Liz? Of, uh... Well, I mean, I started her list, uh, <laughs> Sheila Dolan, but uh, like, I didn't have that much paper in the house. <laughs> you could just talk about Carly Simon in 1971, Sheila yeah, Weller. That was a... be, yeah, there were some guys before like Terrence Malick and, you know, novelists and greenwriters. Really? And but yeah, but um, and a flirtation with Sean Connery. But in 1971, well, um, Cat Stevens, uh, Chris Christopherson, she was in love with. Um, then she and Mick Jagger had this great flirtation that, uh, and with him ending up, uh, you know, singing background on, um, on your Sylvain. Warren Beatty is, it's pretty accepted that, that your Sylvain was mostly about Warren Beatty. Jack Nicholson, she had a little friendship wing with yeah. him. Mm-hmm. A couple of, uh, a director, Bob Rafelson and his, and his brother. Um, and we're still in the same calendar year now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? But that's what it was like in 1971. I I <laughs> Good for them. Again, I was in the age. Nobody had cele- other celebrities, but this was what it was like. It was, my line is, it was, it, to believe in monogamy was like believing in racism or fossil fuel emission. In, in, really? In, in this, yes. It just wasn't done. Yeah. It wasn't done. It was repressive. It was, it was very bad, you know. So, um and then, and then James Taylor was always there, and and she, and they fell madly in love. And James Taylor was this cool, taciturn guy. You know, um, I know one of you wanted to date. You know, everyone loved him. He never, you know, guys didn't go on about loving women. He fell madly in love with Carly. He told Rolling Stone, "I don't know where she starts, and I begin. She ends off, and I start. We are so really? totally connected." Oh, that's what yeah. Sheila Dolan thought too in 1971. <laughs> yes, yes. Thought he was going to walk up our front steps and ask my mother for permission to take me out, <laughs> right. and I had the perfect outfit already for JT. Right. But Sheila Willard, there. Is is something about James Taylor that all three of these women, Carol King, mm-hmm. Joni Mitchell, and Carly Simon, were captivated by yes. James Taylor. And yes. two out of three actually slept with him, right? Yeah. Why do you yeah, have... Car- you know, Carol and he were just good friends, and yeah. they really launched each other's careers. Yeah. yeah. So what is it about James Taylor? These three women are so yeah. different, and yet they all were totally mesmerized yeah. by him. I-, I think it was a combination of his... Yeah, I mean, you know, he was very handsome and and sensitive and vulnerable and 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 you know had this kind of um, 
Susan Barty said passive aggressive charisma where he was always dejected and wounded, but, you know, he captivated you. Also, I mean, there was a sort of throwaway aristocracy about him. His mother and father's families had come from England to America in the 15th and 16th centuries. His father was the, um, you know, they were New Englanders. His father was the dean of the medical school of the University of North Carolina. So there was, as he went to Milton Academy, there was this, you know, aristocratic element to him, and he was also a heroin addict. Mm -hmm, But if you put those two things together, it was a captivating, um, you know, uh, contradiction. And, I mean, he was just sort of mesmerizing. And uh, uh, women who went to Seven Sisters Colleges felt he was sort of one of their own. And he, you know, his his, uh, Fire and Rain, this very melancholic, dark song about death and pondering your life, changed music, and Tapestry did as well from hard rock to this thoughtful, deep, you know, other kind of rock. So he was sort of the it boy. Mm-hmm. Right, Monica, don't you call them sad boys? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, bo- I, I always fall for sad boys. Yeah, I sad, still do, yeah. Sheila. Yeah, the but sad boys. In my boys. music, in mm-hmm. my music. It's just uh, there's something vulnerable about them and just yep. very attractive. Yes, and they plus now the fact, them I mean, emo, emo men, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, James yeah. Taylor's voice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the for Carly Simon, those years of being married to James Taylor, mm-hmm. I mean, he was a heroin addict the entire time. Heroin or methadone. Oh. Then he went to methadone, but that is also a, an addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just sounds like such a painful period, and yet she was desperately in love with him the entire time. And you're right, for years and years, do you think she's still in love with James Taylor? <laughs> oh, she, she's a, a person with a big heart, you know. Um I, I, there was something about that. I, maybe he's probably still in love with her too. Um, but it was, it was, they were very sad. They, they were difficult years, but also they raised two beautiful children. They were kind of, you know, an in couple in Manhattan and Martha's Vineyard. She was much more social than he. I mean, he was always happier fixing a boat than going out to a, to a Ms. benefit, but she held up that end of it. But, um, they, um, yes, it was it was a contradiction because he did have this addiction, and you know they, they their marriage lasted through a time when sadly people didn't know how to how to um, help people through addiction, uh, loved ones through addictions. Al-Anon just if if you were in AA, which he wasn't, you could do it. But uh, what we know now about codependency that only came in at the very end of their marriage, and mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah. All right, some of the men in Joni Mitchell's life. Let's just get back to that for a second, mm-hmm. because it broke my heart to read that she was sitting in a hotel room in New York City uh, while the boys, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, went up to Woodstock because she had to be on the Dick Cavett show. That just seems incredibly unfair, Sheila Weller. Yes, and and they wanted to, Elliot Roberts, her, her manager wanted to protect her, too. They were kind of worried at this point, Woodstock was really wild and woolly, and, you know, you didn't know if you could get in in your helicopter. But she intuited Woodstock by watching it on TV. She just understood what it was. As David Crosby said, she understood it better than any of us who were there. And I'll tell you, their her- version of her song is one of my favorite interpretations mm-hmm. of all times. Yes. I mean, I, I think they did it justice, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, they, they really did. did. But she did it, hit her out of the park. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Poor Joni's sitting <laughs> yes, at home. Yes. In the, you know, in New I, York, I always say it's room. more dramatic on TV, but I would have liked to have been at Woodstock. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Sheila Weller, as you go around the country now and talk about this yeah. big best-selling book, Girls Like Us, there must be women coming up to you confessing, yeah. as we have with yeah. you, yes. their crushes on James Taylor or how much a certain song Absolutely. from yeah. Tapestry or Blue meant to them. Mm-hmm. Has, does that surprise you, or is that why you wrote this book? Because you knew that. Well, I, I kind of knew it instinctively. I wrote it because I felt felt that they so embodied what what we all went through. And but now it, it's so gratifying to hear that, and I hear it all the time. And I get emails, and you know, one thing that keeps coming up is. Um, from younger women, I know every word of every song in Tapestry because my mother played it all the time. When we, she drove me to school and back, or and Blue. You know, even though I was younger, I I bought and played Blue when I broke up with my boyfriend, and you know, when I wanted to be Carly Simon and You're So Vain, just completely, you know, took the words out of my mouth. Uh, so um, they, yeah, that'll make you feel better listening to Blue. That'll make you feel better listening to Blue after a breakup. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, but that's what we did. Yeah, that, yeah. Right. just play the same record over and over <laughs> yes, again. Yes, yes, Just look at what's on Tapestry. So far away, home again. You've got a friend. Where you lead? It's too late. I mean, that's an unbelievable record. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah it's been it's been reissued um, with some outtakes of of her performing uh, shortly after its release. You know, just just solo. It's, it's, it's an amazing record. It was sort of the whole first half of the 70s was mm-hmm. that record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, eighth grade. It's all coming back. Well, yeah. we're going to go out with a little Carly Simon now. Uh, Sheila Weller, thank you so much for taking the time to write this book. Oh, and thank you. It just was such a pleasure to read. All the information about the book is posted at SatelliteSisters.com. It's called Girls Like Us, Carol King, Joni Mitchell, Carly Simon, and the Journey of a Generation. And, you know, even if it was your mother's generation, people, go read the book you're gonna you're gonna learn a lot about your mom (laughs) that she didn't want you to know yes exactly what your mother's fantasies were it's all in girls like us thank you sheila wella for joining us on satellite system thank you all there's nothing It's a funny transition going from Carly Simon to your cheesy, believe it or not, music, Monica Dolan. I was just thinking that from great music <laughs> to not so great music. But it does the job to introduce, believe it or not. That's right. Were you guys ready? This is my weekly news quiz. I'm going to try to stump you. I'm going to present three news stories from the past couple of weeks. You have to guess which story I made up. You know, I like to have a theme every week. Mm-hmm. And I think I already hinted at what the theme was before. It's milestones. Milestones. Okay. So, and our, our engineer, Kia Renee, is going to play along. Oh, right good. Kia's in. Let's play. All <laughs> right. Story number one, Wrong Way Baby. Trevor Knight, 17, from Lincoln, Nebraska, was ticketed for a moving violation when he exited the Department of Motor Vehicles onto Hobart Street, and he turned left 
onto a one-way street going the wrong way. Oh, Trevor. Trevor. <laughs> oh, he had just passed his driver's test moments before, and he was returning home with his mother. Um, he was stopped about three blocks from the DMV and given a ticket. And Trevor told the cop, you know what? I just was so stoked about getting my license. Stoked. That, that my mom and I. Miss the street signs. Oh. So story number one is wrong way, baby. We're playing, believe it or not. Try to guess which story I'm making yeah. up. Did they, they include the officer's name by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> Only kidding. Okay. At this time, I'm not going to answer any questions about the stories. You know how this works, Sheila. Right, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I know what you're thinking in your head. I know what word is going through your mind. It's rubbish. All right. Go. go. Story number two, class of 2008. This June, the oldest graduating senior at Southwestern High School in Detroit was... But um, but um, ninety years old, oh. and he was the only graduate to receive a standing ovation at the ceremony. John Locker dropped out of high school in the tenth grade to support his family. He also fought in World War II. Then he went returned home, and he worked at General Motors as an engineer for thirty eight years. Now, his daughters wanted to give their dad something special for his ninetieth birthday present. They contacted the high school, and they convinced the principal to award their dad his high school diploma. Getting teared up here, believe it or not. Story number two, (laughs) class of 2008, 90s. That better be real. Okay. (laughs) Story number three, always the bridesmaid. Ladies, you missed another chance to catch the bride's bouquet. (laughs) To tell you that. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's. Kelly Gray, she's a hairdresser in Virginia Beach. She was looking for ways to save money on her wedding. So she's baking her own wedding cake. The dancing will be to music she has programmed on her iPod. But one of her best money-making schemes paid off when she auctioned off a chance to become one of her bridesmaids. Oh, that is her a cute wedding. idea. Oh, that's a fantastic idea. Uh, the bride. I might she, do that even if I'm not getting married to make some money. Uh, okay, sure. <laughs> Steal it. Uh, she she really she initially had just hoped to cover the cost of the bride's bridesmaid's red dress, the matching shoes. She was hoping to make a small profit, but believe it or not, <laughs> the winning bid was five thousand seven hundred dollars. Good for her. And it nearly covered the cost of the entire wedding. So story number three was always a bridesmaids. Mm. So we have three stories this week. Which one is bogus? Is it the 17-year-old kid who just got his license, the 90-year-old high school graduate, or the bridesmaids auction? Mm-hmm. Good use of the word bogus. All right. Now, uh, you know, those two stories are so heartwarming. You know, the wedding and the 90-year-old man. I don't know. I'm just taking a shot in the dark that you made up the Trevor King because of the word Hubert. That's where one of my best <laughs> friends went to college. And you know that. Martha Ostheimer went to Hubert in William Smith. I think. Okay. First of all, his <laughs> name was Trevor Knight. Well, the name of the street. Was, was Hobart? Hobart. I know that. <laughs> okay. All right. So mm. Sheila thinks I made up the kid that went the wrong yes. way yes. out of the DMV. Yes. All right. All right. All right. Uh, Kia, what do you think? Nice tip, Sheila. Hobart. Okay. Um, I I think both of those stories are really charming also. I mean, about the 90-year-old graduate, I 
I had to go back to World War. Was it World War One? Two. World War Two. World War Two. Um, so you were checking Monica's I math. Do the math. Yeah, I was trying to do the do the math. I'm I'm thinking that it would just be really unfortunate to to do get your license and then go the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's. It's possible. I can't really. Is there a part of this game where you can't decide? Oh no, Kia! You have to choose, no, have to choose yeah. one. I have to choose. Well, if the I stakes ha- are low, Kia. If, <laughs> I, if I have to choose, I'm going to choose the, the the young man going the wrong way, just because I want That's those other good, stories to be true. Okay, I'm with you, All Liz. Right. All right. Uh, I, too, was suspicious about Hobart Street. I don't know why. Maybe it was just looking at the look on Sheila's face. Didn't Monica live on a Hobart Street at one point? Possibly, yes. But I I actually think that it's the third story, Always the Bridesmaid, that you made up. Because it just seems fundamentally impossible that someone would want to pay $5,700 to be in a stranger's wedding. It's hard enough to be in the weddings of the people you know. You know, Liz, always the skeptic. <laughs> I'm just skeptical. And always right. <laughs> that, that, would, uh, that that would actually get that kind of a donation. Uh, so I'm picking number three, always the bridesmaid. I think it's, a, it's an interesting notion, but you made it up, Monica. Liz, I agree with you. Who could be so stupid as to... <laughs> I didn't say like, stupid. Well, I just, I, that's what I was thinking, to waste. Like, it's $5,700. That's a lot I, of money. And I think it's a stranger that yeah. bid on it. I guess. Oh, so you're telling me it's true? Desperately wanted to be in a wedding. So I am telling you that story is true. Oh, okay. Wow. Well, boom. It is kind of a feel-good story because it's about a wedding. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly happy for Kelly yes. and her fiancé that they finance the whole kitten caboodle because they lured this bridesmaid wannabe into paying $5,700 for their wedding. But okay. that is true, believe it or not. Um, the oldest graduate is just such a sweet story, and that is true. Oh, oh so yeah, Hobart. Yeah, like, <laughs> Kia, Kia, aren't you glad now that you actually weighed yes, in, I that you picked am. one? Yes, uh, I And am. thought about it. I made up the story about Trevor Knight. <laughs> And, Lincoln, and where'd you get the word Hobart? You know what? I've been to Lincoln, Nebraska. I don't know if there's a Hobart Street there, right. but I'll, I'll be more careful in the future. Sure. But didn't you say his mother was in the car with him? Yes. Okay. His mother she would not the... let him go down a one-way street. Like, now it's oh all coming God. to you, Kia. <laughs> well, yeah. She might if she were excited and Trevor was excited about getting his license. Okay. They're okay. not I mean... real people, all right? <laughs> uh, you, you know, Trevor is probably not going to be driving to the DMV by himself to yes. take his driver's license. So I had to put someone in the car with him. You did, Monica. I did. But going down Hobart cautious. Street the wrong way. Okay. A feel good. Lots of fun, Monica. Okay. Wrong way, baby. All right. <laughs> Sheila and Kia. Today's hey. winners. Whoa. Very exciting mm-hmm. here this holiday week. So, uh, okay. Speaking of holidays, we have obviously Friday is the 4th of July. We have a very special show for you on Friday. We are launching our annual Satellite Sisters Best Beach Bag Book Series. So this is when we talk to novelists who have written books that we think would be really fun for you to take to the beach this summer, wherever you're spending your vacation. We have a series of three authors, Jancy Dunn, Allison Larkin, and Jules Asner, coming up in the next three shows. And uh, so you're going to want to tune into that, the Best Beach Bag Book Series. The list of the books and all the details on that, it's already posted at SatelliteSisters.com. Check that out. And then 
also on Friday's show, we will be giving you the details of how you can win a fun prize. Sheila, there's oh, a fun prize involved prizes. Here. You can win a fun prize by sending us your own Beach Bag book suggestions. So that starts Friday, July 4th, the end of this week, and will go on for the next few shows. Check it all out at SatelliteSisters.com. All right, sisters, you got you gonna have a good holiday. Oh yes, I'm gonna have a dynamite holiday. I actually got invited to a party this year. All right, yes, <laughs> and I'm going. I'm, I'm stepping out of the zone. All right, we hope everyone has a very safe Fourth of July. Have a fun Fourth of July. We'll be here for you with that exciting show. So just go to SatelliteSisters.com. Uh, good luck, sisters. Have fun. Thanks Liz. Thanks, Liz. And don't forget, call your satellite sister.